Um, it's good to have you all with us. Today we're looking at uh, verses 10 and 12 of uh, the first chapter in 1 Peter. And though these verses are few, I hope that you'll be able to see that they're packed with encouragement this morning. Verse 10 starts with the word concerning this salvation. So the first thing we'll do is briefly look back over the previous verses to see what this salvation is that Peter mentions here. So verse 8 says, Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Martin talked last week about how our search for happiness must be met in Jesus Christ. And he is the one who's redeemed us from our past. And Jesus is making all things new. So loving Jesus and believing in Jesus creates hope and results in this inexpressible joy to flood our lives, even when life is difficult and even when we face hardship. Now, if you've been listening to the sermon series the past few weeks, you'll have heard that there have been some warnings from uh, Peter that we will suffer in this life and also some encouragements uh, of our new birth and uh, eternal inheritance as well. And in these few verses that we're uh, focusing on today, they're super encouraging because Peter lays out the unprecedented privilege that we as Jesus' followers now have. It's building up towards a point. It's gaining traction through the chapter and this joy in salvation that is mentioned here uh, before our verses. Peter expands on that and it intensifies in these verses. So I hope it helps us to see how awesome this joy is. Pastor John Piper explains that Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. And whether you're feeling joyful at this moment or whether you feel that your joy has faded, I hope that you leave this morning with a greater sense of God's awesomeness, with a renewed sense of that joy in your salvation, in grace and in being an heir of the Old Testament promises of God this morning. So as we start, we're going to look at joy in our salvation. Joy in our salvation. <clears throat> so, salvation is not a small part of our faith as Christians, is it? It's, it's life-changing. It's hugely impactful. And it's, it's this rescue mission where God drags us away from the jaws of death and draws us into his loving arms and into eternal life. And yet, the flesh, as transient beings, time and other events can draw us away from that wonderful truth as we journey through life. I visited Portugal with my wife uh, for our 10-year anniversary a couple of years back, and we went to Porto, and it's full of beautiful buildings. Almost every street has churches or other architecture that really stands out and looks amazing. But sadly, as time and weather has taken its toll, the, the brightness of the colours has dissipated. And that can happen in our Christian lives as well. If we look away from the gospel as we weather life's storms, we can look upon our salvation with a faded grandeur. Peter says, get out your paintbrush, get out your paints and look again. 
Even the angels are on the edge of their seats trying to get a better look at this today. Look again and see the joy that comes from this rescue. Verse 9 says, The outcome of your faith is the salvation of your eternal souls. Salvation is not a mere detail within Christianity that you swallow like a pill and you're done with it. Its scale and its scope are so massive. The more you think about it, the more the joy starts to bubble up inside you. I was, in to- I was on top of a, a mountain in Switzerland with my family at a viewpoint. And um, we couldn't see anything. It was completely cloudy. I had to um, almost bribe my kids with sweets, with candy, to get to the top of this, this viewpoint. Because there was nothing there. There was no reason to go up there. It was just so cloudy we could hardly see that. And then suddenly the clouds parted and our breath was just taken away by the magnitude, by the amazing vastness and the beauty just stretching out in every direction. You could see for miles and you could look over and over again at the different mountaintops and the different things. It was beautiful. It was, it was just something to marvel at as we tried to take it in. And that can be how our lives are. They get clouded and fogged up with busyness and life and our own worries. And then God just clears the clouds away. And we have this panoramic view of his salvation. The glory of salvation is revealed to us here in verse 10 in the intense curiosity of the Old Testament prophets as they searched and inquire of the, the scriptures carefully, they, they look how and when salvation would come. And they didn't just take a quick look or skim read, but this deep study that they do shows that the prophets were excited. They were longing for this. They were aching for this. They had this desire for the Messiah, this desire for Christ. And salvation is, is not based on some vague idea, but the prophets were so challenged and intrigued that they, they searched for a better understanding of it. The prophets who had a ministry of their own, in their own time, in their own lives, they had contemporary issues to, to sort out, but they were looking ahead. They didn't do it to serve themselves, but to serve us. They ministered mysteries still hidden from them. How did they do that? Look at verse 11. The prophets were not doing it alone, but in the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ was showing them, was revealing to them, not only about this salvation, but about the suffering that must come. Can you get your head around that? The spirit of Christ was, was pointing them to the sufferings that he himself was going to take on himself at a set time, an appointed time. And also the glory to come. So Christ was witnessing through the Old Testament prophets well in advance, hundreds of years before he would come. And our salvation, that means that that was not an afterthought or an emergency plan. It was God's purpose plan. Our salvation was carefully thought through, carefully thought out. And we see as we read and understand more of the Old Testament that there's a great joy for us in seeing God's purposes in his salvation worked out. Because we see that we, we're always part of God's plan, don't we? Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that something to be joyful about? 
And now in verse 12, the, the same the spirit is announcing through the apostles the same message of salvation to us. Jesus is Lord over all. And I briefly mentioned this, but salvation is so wonderful that even the angels want to look into it and understand it. Verse 12, the, the verb that Peter uses is that the angels are, are straining to see. They're peering, wanting to see from heaven. And those that stand in the, the presence of God, these angels in his presence, they long to understand this, to delve into this and know it better. Our salvation, friends, is divine from start to finish. From start to finish. The angels can't get enough of it, and neither should we. So it's really good to be reminded that there'll never be anything more amazing in our story than this salvation. How have we uh, been so distracted by the things of this world that we fail to spot this? Are we so familiar with the gospel that we don't see it shine through when there's so much more to it? As a believer, your life story is a gospel story. How is it going to play out? Others will see the gospel in your life. They'll see you living it. They'll see if you're excited by it. And they'll be intrigued by it. And if salvation isn't a part of your story today, why not look into God's plan? Why not look into God's salvation story for yourselves? Have a look at it. You know, when you go to an art gallery, you can uh, keep going back and looking at one or two famous paintings because they have so much to convey. You go to the art gallery, one or two will draw you in and just like, wow, they're amazing. You can just stand there and look at all the details. But if you go back again, you'll see more details in those big pictures, in those paintings. And not only that, but then you start to notice other pictures there in the gallery other details, other totally new paintings. And this, friends, is what salvation is like. We're drawn in by one or two big paintings, big things that are like, wow, that's amazing. But as we spend our life looking at these art pictures, these beautiful pictures, we'll see so much more. Every time you go back to that gallery, you're gonna see a new detail you've never seen before. That is our salvation. The more we look at the gospel, the more we look at God's word, the more we get out of it, the more we see how beautiful it really is. And secondly, this point, we rejoice with joy in the grace of the gospel. You can tell a lot about how someone feels about something from how they work at it. For example, an eight-year-old doing a, a French verb worksheet will work a lot differently on that to how they will maybe stick football stickers in an album, you know. And it's so striking to us that the prophets worked and inquired carefully, you know, that they, they're prophesying about the grace, verse 10, that would be yours, the grace that is ours. Because they were so excited and intrigued by it. The grace that meant God came to live with us, though we are sinful. The grace that meant Jesus was willing to suffer for us, even though we don't deserve that. And that so that glories would come. Peter, the author of this letter, was no stranger to Christ's sufferings, was he? 
It's no, uh, no stranger to what happened to him that the, the prophets had foretold. We see that Peter wrestled with the sufferings of Christ. Surely Jesus shouldn't have to suffer. Remember, he drew his sword in Gethsemane to stop it happening. He tried to convince Jesus to go a different path in Matthew 16, verse 23. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Over and over again, Peter was resistant to Jesus going to suffer because he couldn't bear the thought of it, the horror of it, the injustice of it. Even after Jesus' resurrection, there was confusion about Jesus' need to suffer. In Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus uses the Old Testament from Moses to the prophets to explain the need to suffer to his followers. This is what Isaiah uh, 53 says, which is 700 years before the incarnation. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All like sheep have, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus went through this because of his love for us. And his grace in giving us what we do not deserve, the salvation of our souls. Jesus didn't come to, to be served, did he? he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't have to do that. He could have stayed in glory, but he came and he lavishly poured out this grace upon us. Jesus came to be a servant king and our joy comes out of his service that great, by that grace he would be our perfect sacrifice. And sacrifice opens the way then to glory. Suffering gives way to glory because of the sacrifice of Jesus. We know he's glorified. He receives the name above every other name. And Peter also saw the glory of the Lord, didn't he? Shining on his face at the transfiguration. And as he writes these verses, he was looking forward to the return of, the Christ, of Christ in glory, to finish the fulfillment of the prophets in scripture. Because of grace, we have glory to look forward to and, and sharing in that glory. And I wonder that today if, if we are excited like the Old Testament prophets were excited, longing for Jesus to come back. Are we longing to see Jesus in all his glory? Or is, just, is life okay right now? We've, we've got things sorted. We've got plans ready. The, the chicken's in the oven, so to speak. How does God's grace play out in our lives? Does it reach those that we work with? Do we show grace to our children or our classmates or our workmates? Are we showing grace because we've received it ourselves or do we find ourselves struggling either to accept that grace or to display it? We need to ask God to help us with that, don't we? As I end this second point, we see that our joy is found in God's grace, 
the grace the prophets prophesied about, the grace the Holy Spirit testifies about through all those preaching the gospel, and the grace that the angels long to look into, the grace that's so desirable, so intensely interesting and necessary for all of us. In verse 13, Peter goes on to say about this grace that we should set our hearts fully on it. I'm not going to say too much about that. You'll find out more next week. All right, point three. Joy in the privilege of living now as heirs of the Old Testament promises. I wonder how many of you remember a time before emails. Do you remember life before emails? Yeah. Work before emails. Holidays before emails. Remember those? <laughs> or holidays before WhatsApp even where you, you, would, you wouldn't get contacted unless you really tried to. Um, well, things change a lot, don't they? Things in the past change, life changes. And now maybe you're looking forward to a better future, a world with only electric cars or whales winning the World Cup. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but Peter, in these verses, is pointing out that his hearers are the heirs of the message of the prophets. The prophets weren't going to see uh, what they were prophesying about in their day, were they? Matthew 13, verse 16 to 17 says this. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And we get to live in these days of fulfillment. The prophets are looking so intently, but they would never get to see and hear or experience it in the same way that we can now look back and see how awesome Christ is. Verse 10, that was to be yours. That grace, verse 10, and we are beneficiaries of that grace. It's all too easy, isn't it, to be aware of what we haven't received, but it's what, that we, it's what we have received that gives us such joy. We can understand so much more on this side of the cross through the same Holy Spirit that inspired the prophets and the gospel writers. Even the angels, the heavenly beings who long to look into the wonder of salvation and grace cannot be re recipients of the redemption that we can. And so they don't experience the gospel in the same way. Yet we do. We're now living in this time, in the days after Jesus has come, died, risen and ascended. Salvation is yet to be fully experienced, but in a sense, we are receiving it now. Experiencing forgiveness and his presence with us as we meet like this. But there's more still to come, isn't there? There's more to come when Jesus returns and we enjoy eternal salvation, the fullness of the salvation. And as we enjoy our salvation now, let's be challenged to follow the example of the prophets and to think about how can we help pass that good news on to the next generation? And as I conclude this morning, I hope that you can rejoice in joy because loving and believing in Jesus means that we can enjoy this uh, salvation. It's not just in the future, 
But now as we spend time with God and we see how deeply we're loved and able to receive his grace and be heirs of the Old Testament promises. The Old Testament prophets put that salvation joy into intently studying the scriptures. What will you do with that joy this morning, I wonder? Let's pray, shall we?